This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. A hush falls over the crowd. Yeah, apologies all around, everybody. We watched the movie Biodome. Mistakes were made. You know, this movie has a one on Metacritic. Yeah, there were like six other movies that also got a one, none of which had I ever heard of. Right. So this movie it was hated in its day. Oh, my God. And ages worse than I even thought possible. It was a real bummer. Let's listen to the trailer. Let's do it. (laughs) The Biodome, a pure self-contained environment where five scientists are about to be sealed off from every conceivable form of contamination except one. Doors are sealed for one year. We're stuck here. That's right. 12 months? Yes. 52 weeks? Yes. 385 days? Wow. No. Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin Trick or treat. are doing whatever it takes to put the mental <laughs> back in environmental biodome. All right, y'all. As upsetting as that trailer was, it wasn't nearly as upsetting as the film, although yeah. a lot of us... I mean, they definitely put the mental and environmental. There's yes, no they did. around that. They showed the fucking like, sexual assault in the trailer. I know. It was like... Because yeah, we've been noticing how common it was for just guys being completely... Terrible in the yeah. in, just being just literally assaulting women, right? <laughs> literally being like a funny thing in these comedies from the nineties, right. but like this was the most extreme example totally. of it I've ever seen. I mean, in this Me Too moment, all of us are kind of like <laughs> looking back on the stuff that we used to like, and we're sort of like, shit, that wouldn't fly these days, and that's great. But this was like. It felt like a gut punch, and I don't normally have that. I mean, I I'm not as sensitive as I used to be, but when I saw it, I was like, Stephen Baldwin and Polly Shore literally sneak into these chicks, Kylie Minogue and the other girl's place, and, like, feel them up, and you, like, see them feeling their While dicks, they're like, asleep. Yeah, and then all you hear is, like, the girls screaming, and then Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin running out and being like, yeah. And then later in the movie, they want to sleep with them. Yeah. They That's could, the part that I think is mo- even more it. fucked I up. I, the whole thing, Joey Lauren Adams <laughs> as the girlfriend of Polly Shore, I was just, I couldn't. Well, I couldn't. let's talk about Biosphere 2 for a second. Okay. Because this movie is literally based directly on this experiment that happened mm-hmm. in the late 80s where they basically had a biodome, but they called it a biosphere. And a group of people went in and locked themselves in for a year. And because they were so committed to the whole idea of like a closed ecosystem mm-hmm. working and it just wasn't, the whole thing really fell apart. Right. They Like a Big Brother thing where everyone just goes crazy. Yeah, it was like groups formed and right. tensions rose and they were like, no, but this has to work. And like totally. they're hungry and they're running out of oxygen and it, it failed. Right. It, it was like a big failure. It defeats the purpose because the whole point of a biodome is to like, it's like preserving ecosystems. Right. It's not necessarily about like the psychological experiment. Exactly. And this became more about that because right the ecosystem they just couldn't make it work yeah and they were like we need more oxygen in here totally and they had to fail at a certain point that's what's so frustrating is like premise wise it's a really interesting idea like what if two goons got trapped in the blah 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 blah, 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 but they just 
they on all counts just kind of fucked it up. A couple of things. This won a Razzie in 1997 mm-hmm. for worst actor, Polly Shore. Nice. <laughs> Who he actually tied with Tom Arnold because Tom Arnold <laughs> in in 96 was in Big Bully, Carpool, and The Stupids. Wow, all of which I've <laughs> all seen. All terrible. <laughs> I haven't seen Big Bully in years. Oh my god, Rick was Moranis that, Rick in that? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yikerones. But it also won two Stinker Awards. One for yeah, one for the worst on-screen hairstyle for Stephen Baldwin, which yes, Stephen Baldwin already is kind of a he's always creeped me out. Those like ice blue eyes are like more than I can handle. But the fucking the dreads or whatever, I just ugh. And then the other Stinker Award was rightfully so most painfully unfunny comedy. Oh, it was really, really not painful, painful. The New Yorker, I think, encapsulated it best. This is a review I found that says. Quote, the sheer ineptitude of the movie is supposed to be funny, but there's no lunacy behind it. Shore and his writers are like comedians on Prozac, smiling through the fart jokes without a hint of desperation. <laughs> and it's so true, right? Because yeah. like, there's there was so much shit going on in this movie where like they smell each other's farts and tell each other what they had to eat that day. They're, and eat, it's like, they're biting each other's toenails. Yeah, I mean like the, fucking they're gross. so creepily codependent, but like it just makes me wonder, and I'm sure they've done and how, how did this get made of this? Yeah, I got it. I wish it was number one, but like open cattle call for Biodome mm. and, and Gould and Williams were like the funny guys in town. Like, I think Harlan Williams actually was practicing eating bugs or whatever they have to do in the movie. And they were like really ready to be like, we're blowing up, man. Right, right. And then the studio was like, nah, we got a real hot ticket we got here the- with Polly Shore. <laughs> this was his last movie in the Polly Shore run. I mean, if anything this- is going to be the nail in someone's career coffin, this put is a right Put a stop to it right and away. And I did wonder, I was like, why was... Baldwin involved and I was like oh fuck Usual Suspects was right around this time oh, and it yeah. was and he was great in that movie yeah yeah that's, that but, is it but then he he did this and apparently Alec Alec Baldwin told him like bro if you do this movie it's like the worst career decision you could ever make eh, well he I mean, was but I mean Alec he's knows. wrong look how great Steven's doing <laughs> exactly Science. Right. So again, as we were saying, the, the premise of this movie is very interesting, and I wanted to look into what biodomes actually are. Yeah. So biodomes are a controlled, self-sufficient ecosystem that closely replicates the natural outdoor environment. And so what's cool about it is it creates its own water and nutrients and survives without any help from the outside. So the most famous example is the Montreal biodome, which houses four different ecosystems, which is cool. I've never never seen or been. But And then an, there's another famous one called the Eden Project in Cornwall in the UK, which consists of like a large space of biodomes. Mm. So what's cool is you can replicate these different ecosystems like the desert, the Arctic, the Amazon jungle, but without actually going there. Mm -hmm. And you can learn the behavior of these different plants and insects and ecosystems while also preserving them. It's not just like a tourism thing, but you're able to learn and develop. Bring us an environment that's hard to get to. Yeah. To you. Right. So some of the benefits for plants include that seedlings grow a lot quicker. They're stronger and more resilient. They're more likely to survive transplanting into the garden or whatever. Mm. And also that plants don't receive too much or too little of a certain nutrient. So they don't risk getting like burned in the desert sun or whatever. You know what I mean? So the other, the main difference is that a greenhouse is generally used for just raising plants, whereas a biodome can be used for raising all different kinds of animals. I I liked it the most when considering how to recreate like an Arctic environment, considering all the shit that yeah. we're dealing with with global warming and stuff and the polar bears going extinct and whatever like that might be kind of a last ditch effort to and preserve. we can study it and understand yeah. how to yeah right and not in the context of a zoo you know right. what I mean right 
It's also interesting because it sounds like this is what we need to build first on Mars. You yeah, know? yeah, totally. Because if you can create this closed ecosystem there, then you can... Because st- eventually we'll have to terraform the whole thing. Right. But, you know, for yeah. now... But again, like your point in terms of like locking people inside for a year, I'm not quite sure. Like clearly if biodomes exist... There's got to be some kind of maintenance, right? But yeah. it's like, but like the social experiment aspect that even the the movie tackles is not. Yeah. I don't, well, that biosphere too is like still around, and yeah. it's used as a research facility by I think a university in the area now. Mm. So it was like there were good things that came out of that project, but yeah, it sounds like there was so much press surrounding it that they were like, we can't admit failure <laughs> yeah, totally. and, and then like there were two camps and they were like well we gotta admit failure we're dying in here well and again that the failure was absolutely human it's not like they're right. like there were contaminants from the outside that somehow slipped in it's like that was just people going nuts well it, it wasn't just that it was that like the experiment itself wasn't working like mm-hmm. they were unable to create this closed environment that they could actually live in for it was a long not period of self-sustaining. time right and right. so instead of kind of being like we haven't figured it out yet this experiment that we thought was gonna work they were just like, this oh, has to work. Right. And it didn't. Well, because really, it's like, you know, it's not just a commentary on humans and their craziness. It's like with limited resources right. and under stressful mm-hmm. jurists or whatever, like that's when people. Start. Yeah, they felt really bad about they had to add in oxygen from the outside environment. And then like a lot of them felt like that was a failure. But then they continued on with the experiment. Right. And, you know, it it is what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> Science. They trash the biodome, and they've got to clean it up. Shameless. They do a classic montage cleanup. I also just love that the reason that they keep them there is because they don't want any contaminants from the outside. Like, that's why they don't unseal the chamber. It just doesn't track. It's the one thing that doesn't track about it. Yeah, the one issue with this movie. But really, yeah, they're causing complete havoc, just Mm. shitting on all environmentalists. Right. And I've heard a bunch about this great Pacific garbage patch. Do you know much about this? Oh, yeah. I hear a lot about that. Well, because it's like twice the size of Texas or some shit. That's what people, yeah, people love saying it's larger than Texas. It's actually pretty hard to measure. Some people say it can be seen from space, but that's not true. Right. What the fuck would you see from space? I don't know. It's a big thing. You know, people like. Just the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As we said before, from where? in space from (laughs) Jupiter anyway it was found by a yachtsman who sailed through a ton of floating plastic bottles and other stuff on his way home to LA basically because of the ocean currents a lot of garbage has drifted and collected into a gigantic mass and there's a 32 million dollar cleanup campaign that's just getting going for real Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. and because of that we're learning a lot more about what's actually in it now that we're studying it I do want to say it would be remarkably convenient if a huge bulk of the garbage that we've thrown into the oceans just collected somewhere, like like near the drain right, of totally. the world. Which is kind of how this is, right? Just like right? the movement of the currents and whatnot. Right, and like we're going to go clean out that hunk of hair from the drain totally. or whatever, which is easier than if it was like evenly distributed throughout the oceans. Right. So this is from a National Geographic from a couple of months ago. Microplastics make up 94% of the estimated 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic in the patch. Totally. Which includes trash that's dated from the 70s through the 2010s. So, wide range of trash dropping. Microbeads. Microbeads in your scrubs and whatnot. No, uh-huh. just kidding. But those 1.8 trillion pieces of plastic is only 8% of the total mass. 
Okay. Of the 79,000 metric tons of plastic in the patch, most of it is abandoned fishing gear, not plastic bottles or packaging. Gotcha. Fishing gear like, like lines nets, and nets. Okay, ropes, gotcha. crates, baskets, eel traps. Right. You sure. get the idea. Sure. But the media does like to focus on the plastic bottles and right. stuff like that because right. it's a much more visceral image for us. Right. Apparently, 20% of the patch is from the 2011 Japanese tsunami. Oh. And I remember watching footage of that because it would go so far inland and then it would just pull everything back out to sea with it. And I was like, where is all that shit going to go? And apparently it collects in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. That's crazy. Well, so because you've talked about the the cleanup before, I think, right? Or not, maybe not this one in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know anything about this, this cleanup or like what the... Right now it's like we're just getting the people on site and going right. to literally, you know, it's, they've got a $32 million budget to help clean it up. I think there, there's like a website that's literally just called like oceancleanup.com or oh. something like that and it's this big net and then like what looks like a conveyor belt that's just like pulling oh, yeah, the... yeah, I've seen images of yeah, that. Yeah, let me... Yeah, I'm not yeah, sure the, if they're o- using the those. The oceancleanup.com. That's great. Yeah. So this is the largest cleanup in history. Over five trillion pieces of plastic currently litter the ocean. They're talking about this. I guess this is the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Yeah. The ocean cleanup develops advanced technologies to rid the world's oceans of plastic. A full-scale deployment of our system is estimated to clean up to 50% of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch in five years, which is fucking insane. That would be amazing. But one thing that I read was that what we really need to do is do a much better job of stopping trash from going into the ocean in the first place. Because even with these cleanups, we're not going to be able to keep it in check. Right. There are projections for 2050 as many projections about the climate in 2050 that are really scary yeah. about how much trash is going to be in the ocean. Well, and to your point earlier, like I, I can totally understand that the media might focus on the plastic bottles or whatever, but I also feel like that is necessary because yeah. of what you're just saying, because it's like, point. we still have, you know, fucking curry cups and stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like all these, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, we, we see company after company coming out with either like potato based plastic or right. whatever. That's at least biodegradable, but we have to get it through our thick skulls that like the single use plastic shit has got to go. Yeah. Plastic water bottles, all of that shit. <laughs> I just went to the doctor yesterday for a checkup and they did this new type of way of measuring your temperature where it was straight out of Star Trek. Yeah. They like wave a thing over your forehead oh. and then they can take your temperature. As opposed to the plastic thing they put in your ear Ex- and then and pop Yeah, and, and I was like asking about it and they were saying like one of the main benefits of it is that we don't have all this plastic waste right. from every individual thermometer and stuff like that because you just wave it over somebody's head. Totally. And like just these small things that every day that we, yeah, yeah, into a giant patch of garbage. <laughs> God bless. Science. So they mention homeostasis in this movie again, just all the biodomes. They got to keep everything in equilibrium. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So I just wanted to look into what that actually means. And, you know, is is it just with regard to environment? And it is not. Now, homeostasis comes from the Greek words for same and steady. And it refers to any process that living things use to actively maintain fairly stable conditions necessary for survival. The term was first coined in 1930 by the physician Walter Cannon. And in his book, The Wisdom of the Body, he describes how the human body maintains steady levels of temperature and other vital conditions like water, salt, sugar, protein, fat, calcium, and the oxygen contents of the blood. So 
Similarly, processes that maintain steady state conditions exist in the Earth's environment as well. Even in the social sciences, homeostasis refers to how a person under conflicting stresses and motivations can maintain a stable psychological condition. Hmm. It's all about balance. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm, I always go on. I'm like, I'm remarkably well adjusted, all things considered. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. A society homeostatically maintains its stability despite competing political, economic, and cultural factors, or one, one would hope that could be the case. Right. A good example is the law. <laughs> of supply and demand and like how the market prices can maintain stability. And so these things are kind of keeping each other in check. Yeah. 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 And like homeostatic ideas exist in cybernetics as well. But that was defined in 1948 by the mathematician Norbert Wiener as the entire field of control and communication theory, whether in the machine or in the animal. So cybernetic systems can remember disturbances and thus are used in computer science to store and transmit information and then negative feedback is a central homeostatic and cybernetic concept, which refers to how an organism or system automatically opposes any change imposed on it. So even though it says it's negative, it's basically just equalizing, okay, right? Okay, yeah. Again, like going back to the body's temperature, human bodies uses a number of processes to maintain 98.6 degrees, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the most obvious physical responses to overheating is sweating, which cools the body by making us, you know, making more moisture on the skin to evaporate. Right. And then on the other hand, the body reduces heat loss and cold surroundings by sweating less and reducing blood circulation to mm -hmm. the skin. That's like, I, I love like the way a scrotum works is <laughs> because like there are these things that are really sensitive to different heat, right. but they're hanging outside of your actual body. Oh, so they like come close. So that's away. why there's such a significant variance in like shrinkage and and right. then when if, if you get out of a bath like your balls are all weird and loose totally. and you're like what the hell is that about oh, <laughs> it's so because funny. that they're trying shrinkage. to maintain this ability to like yeah. the homeostasis of your balls Costanza knows all about it man <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So at one point, in order to like get them out of the biodome, they start blasting the safety dance at them. Oh God, that's right. Which oh. they just love. They eat they, it up. Side note, I I love that song too. We might even slip in a little bit. Who knows? <laughs> we can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance All the no friends of mine But I remember at one point You paused the movie And we're just like Um, hello And then they like pointed to There was like a random dwarf yeah. In the scene And I was like Oh yeah Like I had already put it aside Because I had read in IMDB That it was like Yeah, they have this random dwarf guy Because but, it's a direct reference To the, the Men Without Hats music video Which I didn't know that I was right. just like Why is there suddenly a dwarf <laughs> In the biodome It was so funny Because when you paused And just literally like Pointed to the screen And I was just just like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> because, of course, this movie doesn't make any sense. And I'm sure they were just expecting to be like, oh, yeah, hats. that reference. <laughs> Who cares? Whatever. Who cares that he wasn't here for any of the rest it of the movie? It just doesn't like the movie does not care it about its own world. It's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> but as far as music torture. <laughs> right. So in American torture history, we have used it a lot. Really? Yeah. Uh, I know and about it's, Waco. Well, no. Yeah. Tell well, me. it's it's kind of the kind of thing that sounds funny at first, and then as you learn about it, you're like, oh, this is oh fucked my. up. Right. This is actual torture when you do it like this. The, one of the famous examples was in 1989 with Noriega, who was facing a U.S. indictment for drug trafficking, as well as claims that he had rigged the election. And he holed himself up in his embassy in Panama, which was eventually surrounded by U.S. troops, and he refused to give himself up. Mm -hmm. So the way that we got him out of there... 
was we enacted something called Operation Nifty Package. Whoa! Sounds way more pleasant than I'm sure it is. Right? Part of it included the U.S. Army rolling in a fleet of Humvees mounted with loudspeakers mm-hmm. and blasting I Fought the Law, blasting Panama <laughs> by Van Halen. Oh my God! I love those songs. Uh, Bruce Cogburn's If I Had a Rocket Launcher. It was like trying to psychologically I'm be sorry. like. Panama is a little on the nose. I know, right? <laughs> I know. So like. But by January 3rd of 1990, Noriega, who apparently was an opera lover, agreed to surrender. Mm, oh, that's right. You have to do some like psychological, like, what music does he hate? Right, exactly. What if you, what if you like love, like, let's blast him out with some death metal. Right. Like, my boyfriend would be like, Yahoo! Exactly. Well, that's what happened in the movie. Is they yeah. were like, we'll get him out of there with, yeah. with the safety that's dance, and they're like, crazy. nice. I mean, I totally understand the psychological torture aspect of right. it. You know what I mean? It's just bizarre to think about. Like, let's let's bless Van Halen and get well, him out of there. Well, there's there's some other examples oh, of this. No. So in February of 1993 in Texas, when dealing with the Branch Davidians cult, which yeah. is something I don't really know much about, except oh. that the story is crazy. Oh yes. It was a 51-day standoff where apparently law enforcement played These Boots Are Made For Walking by right. Nancy Sinatra. Right. And they played the sound of jet planes all night. Uh-huh. And then apparently they also played the screams of rabbits being slaughtered, which is a horrifying thing to... Yeah, that crosses the line into... Mm-hmm. Not music. Right. So we wound up using it a lot more during, let's call it the War on Terror interrogations. Uh-huh. Apparently they would play stuff like Enter Sandman by Metallica insanely loud nonstop for days and people would lose their minds. Yeah. And one song that they would apparently then cut to sometimes was the fucking Barney song. Oh, that would cause so much trauma. Yeah, apparently there's something about the jarring difference from going from hard rock like that for so long straight to Barney for a few hours that makes people lose their mind. And the guy who wrote the Barney song, when he found out about this, quote, just laughed when he found out that it was used in torture. And he said, quote, it seemed so ludicrous that something totally innocuous for children could threaten the mental state of an adult. Right. I would rate the annoyance factor to be about equal with hearing my neighbor's leaf blower. It can set my teeth on edge, but it won't break me down and make me confess crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. But he never had to listen to it for hours blaring right. in his fucking ears. That's the thing. It's the repetition. It's the monotony. It's the over and over again. Like, oh, I can't get any peace and quiet. It's not a, it's not a commentary on the song itself. Right, exactly. And one U.S. operative told Newsweek, in training, they forced me to listen to the Barney song for 45 minutes. I never want to go through that again. Right. If you play it for 24 hours, your brain and body functions start to f- slide, your train of thought slows down, and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to them. I mean, it, it's fucked up in the sense of like all of the research that goes into these policies or these, these strategies yeah. of, of interrogation, right? So yeah. like... Just the minds that go into this of knowing like, well, you know, one way is by torturing them by playing music or just like discovering the ways that you make someone's mind. Well, because with that, there's like no interior space that's safe. Like you can't hide from the music anywhere. Right. And And earplugs aren't a thing. You can't just, you know what I mean? It's, It's inside. Right. And it also can affect the interrogators themselves who are already in an intense situation, already on edge, and then they can get super aggressive and plain old pissed off and take it out on the prisoner because they're being tortured too. Right. 
And I read one thing where like there was a guy who was doing an interrogation and he was hearing the music for so long and that and this guy that he was interrogating just wasn't cooperating mm-hmm. and this thought flashed across his mind of cut his fucking fingers off. And then he was immediately so disgusted with himself for having that thought at all and was like, wow, this music and this whole thing, this whole situation is so fucked up. The whole thing about this is that there's just so much extensive evidence that proves that torturing people is not the way to get actual answers from people. You can't put these people in this kind of situation. And then, great point to suggest the people that are involved in that. It's like, clearly there's going to be some leeway given if people that are interrogating are losing their minds too. Exactly. Now, the United Nations and the European Court for Human Rights have banned the use of loud music in interrogations, and Amnesty International counts it as a method of torture. Oh, okay. But, yeah, like, one investigative reporter pointed out the use of the Meow Mix song and said, (laughs) you almost have to stop yourself from laughing because you realize this is actually torture. Uh, Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it was funny that you said that they even used Panama, not, not funny huh. it's kind of funny haha I don't it's know. a little Just funny uh-huh. i say over and over again that i'm like you know it's really like the first time every time when i hear the song jump by van halen <laughs> so if someone wanted to torture me that would be the one to choose <laughs> to see like will she go crazy will she not will she jump ah, probably Science. They do a bunch of nitrous in this movie. Oh, yes, they do. They sneak in. They get the laughing gas. I th- in the trailer, I think he's like, I'm like a platypus. Yeah, he's he like, put, what the fuck does that mean? He but puts right. a mask on. He's yeah. breathing a bunch of drugs. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> I wanted to look into nitrous. Now, real talk, full disclosure, <laughs> I've definitely had my time with this drug. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Now, now, they're called whippets, right? right now, whippets right. are small cylinders of nitrous oxide. They're used as a propellant for whipped cream. But recreational drug users sometimes fill balloons with the gas and then inhale it repeatedly to obtain a brief high. Oh, man. Yeah, like on, an, on the anecdotal tip, <laughs> it's crazy. It's really loud when you fill the balloons. Yeah. It's, you have some Well, I was telling you that like, yeah, I had a roommate in college who was doing 30 whippets a day every day for a That's really long period so of time. Fun. It was terrifying to see, but one of the most annoying parts of it, because I was like, you know, in college, I was like, look, man, I'm not going to tell you what you can do and what you can't. But every time he would fill the balloon, it was like an air horn going off in the living room. Oh, yeah. And so we would all be watching a movie and every three minutes an air horn would go off right. all with no warning. We, it got to a point where I was just like, dude, just give me a three count. Like, let me know totally. that it's about to happen <laughs> right. because the suddenness right. of the like, just be like three, uh, two, one. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't have, you know. Totally. I mean, and to your point, I am not. I don't like to judge people on their drugs, you know right. what I mean? But this is one of those where, like, after a weekend of doing whippets, you look around and you're surrounded by a fucking 50 to 100 canisters. You just feel like a junkie. Like, right. there's certain things that just make you feel more like a piece of shit. Right. It's filling balloons with right. with a really loud chemical and then huffing on it. And then, and then you know, your face turning blue. Right. Like, literally, I was like, this guy doesn't have enough oxygen. I was constantly, because I had recently been an EMT, and mm-hmm. I think I was still technically certified at that time. 
I was afraid that I was going to have to be at work at any minute with right. this guy. Right. I was keeping a close eye on it, his physical state. You do not want to fuck around with this shit. Like, like I said, I've had some fun with it. I will never do it again because if you're able right. to feel the kinds of things that you feel in the span of five seconds, <laughs> the last time I did it, I literally was like, my brain is shutting down now. I think I'm probably going to die. And so wow. when you have that, it's kind of like, Well, what's exciting know. about it then? I mean, you just get like an incredible body high and you mm-hmm. sometimes hallucinate. You like in the span mm-hmm. of five seconds, I remember being like, someone got real mad at me and then I fought them. You know what I mean? It's like you have these, oh, wow. like there's a reason why people do it. But I, like I said, it's just not something that you should fuck around yeah. with because I was reading about some stuff after inhaling nitrous every day for 10 years, a Taiwanese man started to develop bizarre neurological problems. This was as reported in Wired. So in November 2003, his sense of touch became so faint that he could barely handle chopsticks. Even worse, he felt sensations similar to electrical shocks in his neck and legs. Oh, man. Under MRI scans, they showed that part of his spinal column had degenerated because Whoa. nitrous interferes with the production of myelin, which is the fatty coating that surrounds nerves and help send signals. Oh, man. There was another report in the January 2007 issue of Clinical Toxicology. It explained that the gas inactivates vitamin B12, which if you're already running low on that nutrient could lead to neurological damage because B12 helps keep the body's nerve and blood cells healthy and also helps make DNA. Hmm. It's naturally found in fish, meat, poultry, eggs, but yeah, I mean, like, first of all, I didn't know the connection between B12 and like the myelin or whatever, yeah, like yeah, spinal signals and all of that kind of shit. But but it makes sense to me that if you spend too long in this state, mm-hmm. that your neurons are going to react to things in a fundamentally different way over time. Yeah. Like it's like if you do too much ecstasy over a long period right. of time. It fucking holes in your brain. Right. And like the glands that produce things like serotonin don't know what's normal. Oh, right. Even after a night of raging on ecstasy, the next day it's like you're, the, the come down is insane because right. you're like, all of my serotonin has been expunged. <laughs> right. Like, it's gone. So yeah, I mean, like, this is one of those, I also read about something where, like, this 20-year-old woman developed paralysis in her legs because she was inhaling 10 to 20 canisters of whippets per day for almost two, only two weeks she was doing this. So That's what me, this dude was doing. It, yeah, it makes me concerned about what the fuck happened to this, this guy. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't keep in touch after right. a long right. period of time. Sure, sure. But College. I was always worried, because I was thinking like, what if you have to do a surgery one day or a dental surgery or something where they would put you to sleep with this gas and right. now it just doesn't work on you? Right. It's the it's the fear of not only having developed a tolerance, but also then yourself losing feeling and your right. appendages. Right. Like, it's insane. Yeah. Now, like, I, I heard that with this, this girl that experienced paralysis, she received doses of vitamin B12 and the amino acid methionine. Not sure how to say that, but those chemicals help to rebuild the damaged myelin coating around her nerve fibers. So not necessarily to say that if you do whippets long enough <laughs> that you'll lose altogether, but it's just something. There's so many drugs out there. Right. Like, there's so many drugs that don't seem quite as... Yeah, pick, a, pick a drug that only yeah. hurts you a lot also, rather than irreparably. I mean, even with cocaine, it's like well, the most annoying thing about it is that you have to fucking excuse yourself to do it every 15 minutes. Like imagine, <laughs> like with whippets, it's a five second high. It's I like, know. Oh, man. Well, I, that was the thing about the air horn. It was literally every three yeah. minutes. Brrr. You couldn't get through a fucking movie. Brrr. God, the worst. (laughs) So I think they mentioned at some point that everything is made from soy, and they're talking about soy milk and almond milk. They're upset about it. Yeah, because they don't want to eat soy. 
And I realized, like, where does soy milk and almond milk come from? Right. Like, How do they make milk? I, I know that they don't come from an udder. Right. But <laughs> a bean. almond peats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's a lot simpler than I expected. And I guess if I had really stopped to think about it, I could have been able to logic this out. Right. They, like, blend it up and shit. Almond milk is basically you soak almonds in water for a while, and then you blend them up and you strain it. Right, and yeah. So it's more of a broth than a milk, actually. Sure. And same with soy milk. Soy milk is a little more interesting. Soybeans had been a staple, especially in Asian cultures for centuries, being like on the level of like rice or something like that. Yeah, totally. Edamame, love it. Soy milk in its original form was a byproduct of making tofu, but it wasn't really popular because it caused a lot of farts. (laughs) It caused so many farts. It's ridiculous how many farts it caused and like just a bunch of stomach issues. And so it wasn't very popular. And then a few centuries ago, people realized that if you heat the soybeans at a certain part of, of the process, the process is very similar to making almond milk. Gotcha. It won't make you all farty. And people started liking it and trying to make it taste more and more like cow's milk through recipes sure. and stuff like that and trying to replace cow's milk with it. Yeah. Yeah. This All this came around somewhere in the 13th to 17th centuries. Really? That long ago? That's Yeah. Crazy. Before it finally became the standard to talk about California folk and their soy <laughs> lifestyles, you know? <laughs> Totally. I I mean, some almond milk is gross, some soy milk is gross, but they've got those out there. I mean, like, I try to avoid the shit that's just clearly like, eh, chocolate soy milk, and it's like 95% sugar. Yeah, just, exactly. Like, it's just, that's I how we're going to make it taste by good. not eating, not drinking milk, but here's my chocolate milkshake soy. Yeah. Did you have any favorite lines? No. Me either. I did not I didn't write anything down because I think the entire time we were I mean, there were severe eye rolls happening. The funniest thing to me is like you looked at me before this movie started and you said, Are you gonna feel like horrified by this or something? Because like like many of the other movies that we've watched. And I was like, No, because I already seen it and I remember thinking it was bad and it was like it it wasn't good in its time, but we can laugh at it. And then it was actually more painful to watch right. than I ever thought. Well, because a lot of the shit that we watch on the show is that is stuff that we were really fans of when we were in middle school. Right, so right. We, but Biodome is one of those that has been notoriously terrible for so yeah. long. And even when I saw it as a teenager, I was like, this is, it's just dumb. Like, right. it's just like the jokes aren't funny. They're lazy. Stephen Baldwin and Polly Shore are not funny together. Like, there's yeah. those basic fundamental things. But then this watching, I was just like, sad for humanity. Yeah. Like, I yeah. was sad that I, I struggle with watching movies from the from yesteryear yeah, with, yep. with their treatment of women and stuff. But it made me really sad that they were like, yeah. this is a joke that we can't lose. That, like, but, we're going to wa- show this man massaging a woman's tits I while know. she's in her sleep. The so, consolation yeah. that I have there, though, is that this movie got a one on Metacritic in its yeah, day. Yeah, nobody was like, like, this is the people I want to emulate. Nobody was okay with this. No. In, in its time. No. Yeah. Right. And, and also just the movies that have come since or even before that that were idiot comedies, mm-hmm. idiot buddy comedies, where whether it's Dumb and Dumber or Dude, Where's My Car, sure. which are more making fun of the buddy comedy genre. This was just two extremely unfunny people. I feel like Dude, Where's My Car is like what Biodome should have been. Yes. And yeah. it came after and it was, you know, it was punchy and silly and goofy right. and yeah, maybe insensitive in some ways, but it was like not, not exactly what New Yorker said, which is <laughs> comedians on Prozac. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So anyway, we're sorry about that. Yeah, sorry about that. Interesting stuff, though. Polly Shore is not dead, but... 
Should he be? No, I'm just kidding. I, mean, I gotta see that movie again. I saw that when it first came out. <laughs> I might have to watch Son-in-Law to just cleanse my yeah, palate. Right, yeah, Encino Man. Go back to the early days of yeah. his career. Back Reason in 92. Juice. By yeah. 96, he was over the hill. Because he would, well, we also had this. Four years. We had serious existential conversations because we were like, there was no way that wheezing off my juice and shit was like sustainable. Right. It was just such a fiery, fiery was, car crash. <laughs> Of a demise. Yes. Well, with that, please rate and review us on iTunes. You can find us at ohthatsathing.com and on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at It's a Joy Amia on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find us here next week doing the movie Source Code, directed by Duncan Jones. Oh, yeah, J. Jills. Yep. See you then. Bye. Cause your friends don't dance And if they don't dance Well, they're no friends of mine See, we can go where we want to Place where they will never find And we can act like we come from out of this world Leave the real one far behind